Camera Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about based off versus based on. A piece about the command, make me a sandwich. Is it ambiguous or grammatically incorrect? And a tidbit about pronouncing the number zero as O. People said that when I started teaching, I would be appalled by the horrendous student writing that would cross my desk. And I'm happy to report that so far that hasn't been true. I've been teaching journalism graduate students, so you would expect them to be good writers, and they are. So far, I've led a sheltered teaching life. But the one thing that has jumped out at me is how many of my students, and also people I just hear in the halls, say based off instead of based on. As in, I believe we're all doomed based off what I saw last night. Instead of, I believe we're all doomed based on what I saw last night. I'm usually skeptical when other people report hearing some new error that annoys them, because when you do research, you almost always find that people have been saying the annoying thing for a long time. I applied that same skepticism to myself, and I was very surprised to find that it does look as if people saying based off is relatively new as far as language change goes. There was a dramatic spike in the number of people saying based off instead of based on in the mid-1990s, at least in Google Books, which mostly includes edited text. So people were probably saying it earlier because it takes a while for non-standard usages to make it into books and just for books to be published in general. I still should have heard it before 2014, but it's not 100 years old either. And the chart of the increase looks like some Silicon Valley startup growth chart, like a hockey stick. Also, when you click on the older data points in the chart, they tend to be sentences in which the word based is next to off, but for some other reason. For example, a 2001 networking book talks about a hardware-based, off-the-shelf product. I can't tell you why people started using the wrong phrase. English prepositions are often idiomatic, which means that there's no logical reason why we use one instead of the other. When people ask why New Yorkers say they stood online when almost everyone else says they stood in line, the only answer I have is that it's a regionalism. And when people ask whether they should say they are in a restaurant or at a restaurant, all I can tell them is either is fine. I can tell you that the correct standard English phrase is based on. And when you compare the Google Book Ngram results for based off and based on, you reassuringly find that based on is still vastly more popular. Stick with saying that your assumptions are based on what you saw last night. But don't be surprised if you start hearing people use based off. It is on the rise. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. 
And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, Missing Pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Next, I have a piece by Neil Whitman about the command, make me a sandwich. A listener named Nora has a question about a grammar joke that never gets old, or does it? And I've changed the names to protect the innocent. She writes, my husband Bert is a big fan of yours. When someone asks Bert to make something for them, like a sandwich, If you phrase the question as, Bert, will you make me a sandwich? He responds, okay, poof, you're a sandwich, while waving his hands like he's performing a magic trick. This response is both funny and offensive. Sometimes I find it hilarious, and other times it makes me feel like I'm stupid. Basically, I've banned him from making this joke to me anymore. He thinks the proper way to phrase the question would be, Bert, will you make a sandwich for me? I contend that both are fine but I'd love to hear your opinion. Well, Nora, my brother and I used to make the same joke with our little sister. When she'd say, no, a real peanut butter sandwich, we'd say, oh, well, why didn't you say so? You're a real peanut butter sandwich. And I love this joke because it forces you to think about how the meanings of larger phrases are composed from the meanings of smaller phrases and individual words. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard about transitive and intransitive verbs. If you haven't, here's a quick review. Transitive verbs are verbs that have to have both a subject that performs the action and a direct object which undergoes the action. For example, in the sentence, Fenster ripped his pants, the subject is Fenster and the direct object is his pants. Intransitive verbs require only a subject. For example, the sentence, Rover barked, has the subject Rover, but no direct object. Many verbs can be either transitive or intransitive. For example, eat is intransitive in Aardvark is eating, but it's transitive in Aardvark is eating Squiggly's chocolate. The make me a sandwich joke throws the spotlight on a third class of verbs called ditransitives. They take not only a direct object that undergoes the action, but a so-called indirect object 
which always comes before the direct object and usually refers to someone that benefits from the action. In make me a sandwich, assuming we're interpreting it in the non-jokey way, the pronoun me is the indirect object. It refers to the person who benefits from the action by receiving the sandwich. The noun phrase, a sandwich, is the direct object. It's the thing that gets made. For a sampling of other ditransitive words, you can give people a break, send them a card, get them some help, show them some love, do them a favor, shoot them an email, or tell them a joke. The thing that makes the poof, you're a sandwich joke possible is the existence of yet another class of verbs known as resultatives. This kind of verb takes a direct object plus a word or phrase that describes how the direct object ends up. For example, turn is a resultative verb in the sentence, the industrial runoff turned the creek orange. The direct object is the creek, and orange is the adjective telling us how the creek looked afterward. For some other examples of resultative verbs, you can slap people silly, drive them crazy, or leave them cold. Make is a resultative verb, too. You can make people angry, make them happy, or make them proud or ashamed. Now, all our resultative examples so far have used adjectives to show how the direct object ended up. Orange, silly, crazy, cold, angry, happy, proud, and ashamed. But a few resultative verbs allow you to use noun phrases as well as adjectives. For example, you can elect someone president or name your pet iguana jub-jub. Make can do this too in sentences such as you've made me the happiest man in the world, or that makes you an accomplice. The name for this adjective or noun phrase after the direct object of a resultative verb is the object complement. The general term for subjects, direct objects, indirect objects, object complements, and other parts of a sentence is grammatical functions. The funny meaning of make me a sandwich corresponds to a second way of assigning grammatical functions to the pronoun me and the noun phrase a sandwich. While the non-funny meaning has me as an indirect object and a sandwich as a direct object, the funny meaning has me as the direct object and a sandwich as the object complement. According to Nora, her husband Bert considers the funny meaning with make as a resultative verb to be the only grammatical one. If this is true, either Bert doesn't believe in ditransitive verbs at all, or he doesn't think mean can be both a ditransitive verb and a resultative verb. Most likely, though, he just can't resist a classic grammar joke setup when it comes along. In the make me a sandwich joke, the funny meaning has make as a resultative verb, and the serious one has it as a ditransitive. But there are other jokes involving make in which the funny and serious meanings go the other way. One is in the cult classic movie The Rocky Horror Picture Show. In one scene, the mad scientist, Dr. Frank Enferter, sings, In just seven days I can make you a man. On the surface, he's using make as a resultative verb and talking about turning a 98-pound weakling into a strong muscular man. However, as he sings this song, he's presenting to his audience the latest creation from his laboratory, a man that he has actually created. 
So the audience is drawn to think of make as a ditransitive verb, and the noun phrase a man as the direct object, the thing that gets made. Of course, Bert is correct that you can avoid the ambiguity of make me a sandwich by saying make a sandwich for me, by using me as the object of the preposition for Instead of as an indirect object, you kill the poof your sandwich punchline before it's even a possibility. Even so, make me a sandwich is shorter than make a sandwich for me, and is just as grammatical as other sentences with ditransitive verbs, such as fix me a sandwich. Moreover, there will always be sentences with multiple meanings in whatever language you speak, and it doesn't make sense to declare that only one of those meanings is grammatical when that happens. In fact, make a sandwich for me is ambiguous, too. Does it mean make a sandwich for me to eat? Or does it mean I'm too busy to make a sandwich to pack in our child's lunch right now, so could you do it for me? Furthermore, which misunderstanding is more likely? Someone making your favorite sandwich when you wanted them to make your son's or daughter's favorite sandwich? Or someone making your favorite sandwich when what you really wanted was for them to turn you into a sandwich? Personally speaking, that's only happened to me once or twice. That was written by Neil Whitman, who has a Ph.D. in linguistics, blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com, and is a regular contributor to the online resource Visual Thesaurus. Now here's the tidbit. Sometimes people think that it's wrong to pronounce zero as O, but it's actually okay in certain contexts. For example, it's fine, even normal, to say O when you're reading a series of numbers, such as a zip code, 90210, a room number, room 404, a phone number, 555-206-1234, or a credit card number, and I'm not going to read a whole credit card number. And of course, don't forget agent designations, James Bond, agent 007, and so on. You pronounce it zero when you're talking about math or science. For example, you'd say 5 minus 0 equals 5, or that the temperature is below 0. And that was your tidbit. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook under the username Grammar Girl. And you can find all my articles in the education section at quickanddirtytips.com. This episode was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada in Reno. And the podcast is produced in partnership with Macmillan Holdings. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? 
Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.